So last Friday night, uh, maybe you were like me, I was sitting in front of the television and I was watching the opening ceremony of the 2016 Olympic Games. And my favorite part of that ceremony is uh, what they call the Parade of Nations. And that's where all the athletes enter the stadium behind their uh, respective flag. And you get to see the athletes that are going to compete. And as I sat and as I watched that, uh, as I watched that ceremony, as I watched those athletes, I was kind of struck that this ceremony for them marked both an end and a beginning. It marked for them an end of a very long and a very painful and a very grueling journey. That ceremony really was the, the culmination of hours of training, of competing, of denying themselves, of, foc of focusing themselves at least for four years on one single objective, making it to the Olympics. It was a time when the athletes could pause and they could think and take stock in what they had done, what they had accomplished in order to be there. But it was also a beginning, because while they had made it, while they could say they were Olympians, there was, there was still more ahead. They still have to compete. They have days that are going to be filled with new experiences and new challenges. That's pretty much the way life is. We end one thing, we turn around, we've begun something new. We close one chapter in our life we start a new chapter. So this morning, as we think about Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, I want us to think about it in light and like those opening, that opening ceremony at the Olympics. I want us to think about it as an end and as a beginning. I want us to think about chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, as a time where we can stop and where we can look back and we can gather up some things that we've learned from this series. Now, we have heard some very great sermons. And I want to tell you, I say we because I have listened to every one of these sermons online. I am so thankful for that, that I'm on the same page today as everybody else. And I have to tell you, I have no idea why I'm standing up here uh, because this church... Uh, has some great preachers. It has great preachers. You've heard the word. You've heard it accurately uh, expounded. But in this series, if you think about this series, the gospel according to Abraham, you've been brought from the first days where you meet Abraham, and now we are at the delivery of his promised son, Isaac. So out of everything that you have heard, all the lessons that have been given to you, what I want to do is I want to distill three truths that I think this series highlights. So let's get started. In, when you look at chapter, uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, the very first thing, the very first truth that leaps off the page at me is this. Who is in control is the number one question to be answered. Who is in control is the number one question we have to answer. Now, Abraham is known as a person of faith. I mean, he's a person of great faith. 
The scripture says that he believed God. He didn't have much to go on. But what he had, he believed. He believed God and it says God credited his faith to him as righteousness. He was a great person of faith. We talk about him. The New Testament talks about him as a great person of faith. But I submit this to you today. Faith was never Abraham's problem. Who was going to be in control was. As a matter of fact, if you look at Abraham, the times he got in trouble, the issue was about who was going to be in control. Once Abraham made the decision to follow God, once he left Ur of the Chaldees, once he left Terah, his father, and he moves his family, and he begins to follow God, what we begin to see is here is a man who is working out the issue of God's authority in his, in his life. Abraham, it is as if Abraham is saying, I believe in this God. I do believe in the God that I'm following. Now, how much control am I going to give him over my life? How much authority is he going to have? And the reason that was such a difficult issue for Abraham was because as Abraham followed God, what Abraham figured out was God didn't just have a will for his life. God also had a way and God also had a time that that will was going to be accomplished. Isn't that what verses 1 and 2 of this passage tell us? Do you remember? Let me read it for you again. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. That's his will. And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. That's his way. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. That was his time. From front to back, Abraham's issue was control. Who is going to be in control of my life? Now, since we're not going anywhere for a few minutes, let's just get real with each other. Because the struggle for the Christian in the Christian spiritual life isn't over faith and belief. Not the Christians I know. I mean, I, I'll prove it to you. In a few minutes, we are going to stand and we are going to say the Nicene Creed, the confession of faith. I believe that every Christian here, when you say that, I, I am assuming that you believe everything that you are saying, everything that you're going to read, everything that you're going to repeat. I believe that you believe it. I believe you have faith in it. That's not the issue. The issue is when you leave this church and you reenter the world... And so in our family life, in our social engagements, at work, at school, in our relationships, wherever we are, we are confronted with this voice that says, okay, so you believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. So how much control are you going to give him today? How much authority are you going to give him over the situations of your life. Now, you don't think that's a struggle? Let me ask you a question. You ever had a problem with God's will in your life? Has there ever been something you didn't want to do? 
Can you point to at least one time in your life where you didn't like the way God was handling things? And so you took it from him and he did it yourself. Has there ever been one time in your life where you thought God's timing is just way off? He was either moving way too slow or he's moving way too fast. And so you're trying to slow him down or you're trying to speed him up. You see, from front to back, the issue that the Christian has to resolve is the issue of control. Now here's the encouraging part. This is what you ought to take away from Genesis 12 to 21 and through. What we see in Genesis 12 to 21 is a believer. It's about a believer. A believer who is in process. He believes in God. He believes in his promise to him. And from that point on, what we see is Abraham is becoming what God has destined him to be. And one of the things that Abraham has to work out as he's becoming what God wants him to be is this issue of control, giving God more and more control of his life. It is a process. There is only one person that got it right from the get-go, and that was Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. We have heard the words of Scripture today, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Please don't think that's the only time he said those words. I mean, that was his life. Throughout his ministry, throughout his work, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And because he had given complete control to God, it led him to a cross to die for us. And aren't we glad he did? Aren't we blessed because he did? Now, the truth is, that's what we want to become. But the point is, we're like Abraham. Our road is marked with highs and lows. There are times we cooperate with God and His will and we get it right, and there are times we just wish we could have it back. There's times we just didn't decide correctly. But in this process, we are serving a God of grace and patience. And so just like Abraham, what we are learning is that God's plan, God's will, God's way, God's time, they really are the best. And if we submit to it rather than fight against it, it will always bring, bring, bring blessing into our life. The number one issue that we have to decide is who is in control. Here's the second truth I think this scripture brings out. The second truth is this. God is always faithful to his word. You cannot read verses 1 through 7 and not get this. God is always faithful to his word. And get this. He is always faithful to his word even if we know how he's going to do it or not. Do you remember back in chapter 19, God appears to, Sarah, God appears to Abraham. And God says, Abraham... You're going to have a child in a year. Sarah's going to give you a son. And you're going to name that son Isaac. Now Sarah is there. She's out of sight, but she's overhearing. And when God says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Sarah's going to give you a son. Sarah laughs. And it's not the laugh of joy. It is the laugh of disbelief. I mean, Sarah's like, yeah, right. I mean, I'm 90 years old. I, I'm not seeing it happening. Now, God knows that Sarah laughed. 
And the way he addresses her laughter is by asking a simple question. Abraham, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? Even making a 90-year-old woman have a baby, is anything too hard for God? Nine months later, Sarah gives birth to a son, and they name him Isaac. Guess what Isaac means? He laughs. What do you think Sarah is thinking about every time she says the name Isaac? Maybe she's thinking about her disbelief. Or maybe she's thinking how faithful God was to his word. Let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever doubted that God was going to come through for you? Have, you? have you ever doubted God wasn't going to be faithful to you? I mean, I mean have you ever heard yourself say, this, this thing is just too big, it is too dark, it is too bad, there's too much going on, I just don't see how it's happening. Maybe God wants to say to you the same thing that he said to Abraham. Is anything too hard for God? So you take God being faithful to his word, and I want you to couple it with this last thing I'm going to tell you. The last thing I'm going to tell you is this, that God never forgets his promise. He is faithful to his word because he never forgets his promise. At their first encounter in chapter 12, God says, Abraham, you are going to bless the world through your family. Abraham says, great! It didn't happen for 25 years. Ever had to wait on a promise for 25 years? It took 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. And during that 25 years, from time to time, God appeared to Abraham, and he would speak to him, and would give him a little more piece of the puzzle. He'd give him a little bit more, in, in, uh, little bit more information. And every time he would appear to Abraham, it was as if God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, I haven't forgotten my promise. As a matter of fact, that is the beauty of Scripture. When you read the Scriptures, it is as if God is telling us, I haven't forgotten my promise. Think about it. Sarah finally gives birth to Isaac, and God says, See, I haven't forgotten my promise. Go a couple of generations ahead, and here is a young ruler in Egypt named Joseph, and he saves God's people from, from, from famine, the descendants of Abraham. Go a little beyond that, and you come to a man 400 years later by the name of Moses, and he leads the children of Israel out of the hands of Pharaoh. And when the waters part, and they cross on dry land, and the Egyptian army is destroyed, God says, see, I haven't forgotten my promise. You go ahead, and you see the children of Israel, and they're going into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, and God says, see, I haven't forgotten my promise. You move ahead to a small boy made king by the name of David who sets up the line of Messiah, and God says, see, I haven't forgotten my promise. You move ahead hundreds of years, and you see a little baby that is born to a virgin, and he is laid in the manger, and God says, see, I haven't forgotten my promise. Move 33 and a half years ahead. And you see that baby, now a man dying on a cross for the sins of the world. And God says, see, I haven't forgotten my promise. And you move three days. And you find an empty tomb. 
Because Jesus Christ is risen and he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And God says, see, I have not forgotten my promise. You think that's the best part? Go all the way to the end of Scripture. Go all the way to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, and we hear these words. After I looked, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. They were standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb of God. Christians, I want to tell you, one day we are going to be gathered before God and God's going to say to us, See, I never forgot my promise. This is what I had planned for you all along. Now before I sit down, which some of you I'm sure will be glad, and you can forget that I was ever here, let me ask you a question. If this is who, really, if this is who God really is, if He is a God that can make a promise thousands of years ago, and he is faithful to it. And he has never forgotten it. And he has brought it about. And he will bring it to completion. Isn't that the kind of God to whom we want to give control of our life? Isn't that the God we want to give authority to? God is always faithful. He is always faithful to you. He will never forget you. No matter what the circumstances of life will tell you, no matter what the voices of the world want you to be, want you to believe, He is always faithful and He will never forget you. Back when Harry Truman was president, he had a, uh, at one time he had a certain bill he was trying to push through Congress. And it was just proven to be a fight. Every day they were covering it in the news. And, and it was just, it was, it was taking a lot of attention, a lot of his time. It was just an uphill battle. And it was during that time that, an inter that a reporter interviewed his wife, Bess Truman. And during the interview, the reporter asked Mrs. Truman, she said, you know, the president's got this bill and it's really a fight. What do you think about that? How do you think it's going? Well, what do you think? Do you think that the Congress should approve it? She gave a perfect answer. She said, you know, I'll tell you. She said, I don't know much about that. But I know Harry and I trust him. She knows him and, his, and she trusts him. You, do you know the equation? The more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you trust him. And the more you trust him, the more and more you will give him control of your life. So maybe this week, that's where we need to start. Is just to know our Lord and Savior more. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you know the life we live 
you know, our circumstances. You know, every person here, we need you so much. And it is a difficult task when we are confronted with life to surrender it to you. And yet you are so good. Would you put that in our heart today? You are a good God who loves us. And this week when we are in this world and when we are confronted by a different voice in various situations, may we remember your love for us. And may we offer ourselves to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.